0: Good morning, Uh, please take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. And the passage we're going to consider this morning is uh, immediately follows our scripture reading. So let's begin in verse 41 and we'll read down to verse 47. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Our Father, we're blessed to be gathered here this morning, free of persecution, as was not the case as this church we've just read about, as persecution ramped up for them almost immediately after the formation of the church. And so, Lord, we've received a, a time of reprieve and of, of rest, and yet as we consider the culture around us, hostility to Christianity is increasing. And we need the wisdom and the, the strength to persevere, to be faithful, to have a joyful confidence even in the midst of hardship, uh, and, and boldly proclaim Christ. So, so Lord, give us the grace to, to be faithful as a church, to know your word, to proclaim your word, and to live your word so that you'd be glorified and so that uh, the way we live would impact the world around us. Help us as we unpack the, this passage and these truths this morning. Uh, that we would not just find them interesting, Lord, but we would find them uh, compelling and necessary for our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we've been uh, working through uh, a series on church membership, and we have finished the first block of sermons in that series. We considered the fact and the meaning of membership In our first block of sermons, and in in considering the fact of membership, here's what we concluded. We concluded that, at the very least, a formal relationship existed between a church and an individual Christian, and that both the church and the individual uh, understood that relationship and the responsibilities that came with it. And so we worked through a number of passages, uh, just understanding the fact that membership existed in the New Testament, and then we moved on to the, to the meaning of membership, and we, we operated on this definition as we unpacked it in, uh, in several weeks, uh, that a church membership is a formal relationship, or we said a covenant of union, between a particular church and a Christian that consists of three things. Number one, the church's affirmation of the Christian's gospel profession. Number two, the church's promise to give oversight to the Christian's life of discipleship. And number three, the Christian's promise to regularly assemble with and submit to the church. Okay, so it's a formal relationship. And the first aspect of that formal relationship is the the, the church's affirmation of the Christian's gospel profession. So when we bring someone into membership, here's what we're saying. We're saying as best as we can tell based on your testimony of faith in Christ and your life of obedience, we recognize you to be uh, a a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we happily welcome you into into our assembly. Okay, that's the first aspect of this relationship. The second aspect is the church promises to give oversight to the life of discipleship for that believer. And so the church, not just the leadership, but every member is responsible to, to watch out for one another, to build up one another until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the maturity of, uh, of the measure the stature the fullness of Christ as Ephesians 4 talks about. And every member has this responsibility to, to oversee the life of discipleship for its, for its fellow members. And this is the, the, the goal of, of reaching maturity in Christ. Then the third aspect of this relationship is that the Christian then promises to bring themselves underneath the care of, of the church. They they, they promise to, to gather regularly and submit to the church. And the primary way in which they bring their life of discipleship under the care of the church is by faithful attendance and and allowing themselves to be held accountable to the brothers and sisters of Christ around them. Okay, so that's that's where we've been so far. The, the fact of membership and the meaning of membership. Now in the in the weeks moving forward we want to consider a number of other aspects related to the topic of church membership. And so moving forward, we want to consider things like what is the mission of the church, as we'll consider this next week. Uh, And moving forward, we'll consider things like how do the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's table, how do they relate to membership in the local church? Or can you just take the Lord's table underneath a tree as you're hunting by yourself with no other fellow believers around. Okay? So how do the, the ordinances relate to membership? We want to look at also at, at who governs and, and leads the church and how do members relate to pastors and how does that how does that relationship play out in the local church. We want to consider what are the duties and responsibilities of of membership and, and what is church discipline and how does the church maintain its its purity through the discipline of its members, and so we have a number of, of of topics to consider as we move forward. so if you thought we were done with church membership i 'm sorry to disappoint you this morning, but we still have a few more things to uh, to unpack this morning. We want to answer this question: What is a church? What is a church? Now, I realize that question seems pretty basic, right and I have these uh, these visions or memories of the famous coaching moment by Vince Lombardi after his team came within minutes of winning the championship the previous season. He began the, the following season in, in training camp by holding up a football and saying, Gentlemen, this is a football. In other words, we're getting back to the basics, he said. Now, much like the players in Vince Lombardi's practice, you might be sitting there thinking the same thing as they were thinking. Well, that's a little too basic, uh, don't you think? After all, we attend church multiple times a week. And so we, if anybody knows what, church, uh, what a church is, we are the ones who, who know what a church is. And so why should we consider this question of what is a church? Well, I think if we don't know what a church is on its most basic level, that will operate off of certain assumptions that may not be entirely scriptural. And when we operate off of those assumptions, we'll have certain expectations or convictions about what the church should be doing. And we might just be slightly off and, and it will lead to, to confusion. And so we want to come back to the basics this morning of what a church is. And, and even as I studied this this topic. And I've had classes in polity and ecclesiology and doctrine of the church and things like that. But even as I've come back to read on some of these things, I've said to myself, ah, this is good. And even I need this reminder of what a church is because of the implications that come from a proper understanding of what a church is. So it's good for us to come back to this question. And probably we should have started with this question. All right, so if I was going to reorganize the series, maybe I would have started here. But as you know, it's, it's too late at this point. So, um, so I apologize. All right, so now here's how we want to proceed today. I want to unpack a definition of the church and looking at Acts 2 and some other passages connected to it. Then I want to consider some common misconceptions about the church and then finish with some implications for our lives as members as we seek to live out uh, our, our, our life and community together. So what is a church? Well, in understanding this, what a church is, I want to begin broadly and, and start to get more specific as we, as we go along. So the word church, it comes from the Greek word eklesia. I don't like to use Greek words in sermons, but you've probably heard this, this term, ecclesia, or you've run into a hip church that named themselves ecclesia, okay? And uh, everybody was confused as to what ecclesia meant, but that's, that's neither here nor there. So in a more general sense, though, the word ecclesia doesn't just mean church. In general, the word just means an assembly or a gathering. And so when it's used in the New Testament, it doesn't always refer to church in the sense of a God established institution. In in Acts nineteen, for example, there was a mob that formed against Paul and, and, and fellow believers, and this mob or this gathering is referred to as an ecclesia or an assembly. So in Acts chapter nineteen, verse thirty two it says, Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Now, sometimes a church might feel like a mob, but that's not what the Apostle Paul's saying here in Acts, uh, and, or Luke's saying here in, in Acts 19. It's just using the word ecclesia for a general assembly. So, in the broad sense, it means an assembly or a gathering. The term ecclesia is used 114 times in the New Testament, and 110 of those refer to the church as you and I think about it, a a God-ordained institution or the body of Christ, okay? So the vast majority of times that ecclesia is used in the New Testament, it's referring to the church. Now, within those 110 uses, there are two subcategories in how we should think about the church or how it's being used, okay? Subcategory number one, it, it may be used referring to the universal church, and subcategory number two, it may be referring to the local church. So let me explain this to us as we, uh, as we consider this. Sometimes when the word church is used, it's referring to the universal church. And the universal church is the whole number of believers between Pentecost and the rapture who have expressed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the term universal is used because it's not the church in one particular particular location. It's universal in the sense that it it refers to believers all over the globe and some who have even gone on to heaven who are part of the church or the body of of Christ. So, for example, when Jesus is having his conversation with his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, and he tells them, I will build my church— and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's not talking about individual local churches. He's talking about the the universal church. He's going to build his body of Christ, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we know this because individual congregations may rise and fall, and that doesn't mean that the Lord is failing to build his church because he's referring to the universal church, the body of, of Christ. That cannot be stopped. But the second category of church, or subcategory of the way church is used, is the local or visible church. And this is the vast majority of uses within the New Testament. Okay, the, the local or visible church is a visible expression of the universal church. Okay, so universal church is, is, is believers all over, but the local church is the visible expression of, of the universal church. Now with the exception of Matthew 16:18 where Jesus says I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and with the exception of a number of references to the church in the book of Ephesians, most of the references to the church in the New Testament are to a local church, a particular gathering in a particular place. So, for example, you'll remember that Paul writes to the church of God that is in Corinth or to the churches of Galatia. These are individual congregations. These are individual local churches. Now, pause for a moment here, and let's just consider a couple things about uh, what we've seen so far about this, this word ecclesia or this word church. Notice, first of all, that it, that it, it means an assembly, or a gathering. And so I want to highlight this, this fact that on the very foundational level, the church is a gathered people. Okay? Like, like we discussed last week, some were in the habit of forsaking the assembling of themselves together. And when that happens, will they cease to be committed to one of the most fundamental elements of what the church is. So, so on the very fundamental level, fundamental level we are a, a, a gathered people. We, we come together regularly for a specific purpose, but, but the gathering is essential to who we are. Okay? You, can, you can watch a service online, but it is not the church. At best, you're, you're watching the church worship, but it is, it, is not, it is not the church. At the very fundamental, the fundamental level, the, the church is a gathered people. Now, pause for a moment, or actually, but let me go, let me go on and say this. The church is a, a gathered people, but it, is, it is, is more than a gathered people. Okay, so just because you have a gathering of people doesn't mean you have a church. And even if you have a gathering of Christians, it doesn't mean you have a church. What we're going to see as we go on to, to look at the New Testament here, that, that a church is a gathering of believers but it's, it's more than a gathering of, of believers. It's a gathering of believers who have certain marks or identities about them. Okay, so that's where I want to move next. I want to consider the, the New Testament and, and look at a basic definition of what a church is so that we're clear about, about a New Testament local church. So let's move on now to consider the passage before us in Acts chapter 2. And in doing so, we want to be asking this question not so so much what is a church but more specifically what is a local church so as we come to verse 41 through 47 as you know we are dropping down in the middle of a con- uh, middle of a context okay pastor Brett read our lengthy scripture reading of the day of pentecost and this is the very beginning and the very formation of the church in the New Testament. Okay, the Holy Spirit, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, came upon the disciples in the upper room. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in languages that they had not previously known themselves. And Peter even then stands up before the crowd, and he begins to to speak and preach about Jesus. Now, one of the important things to keep in mind about the book of Acts, and particularly chapter 2, is it happens on Pentecost, and Penta is 50. It's 50 days after Passover. So what we need to understand is it's only been 50 days since Christ has been crucified. See, Sometimes we think the break between the gospels and acts that there's some sort of large chronological break there but no we're talking about we're talking about just a matter of weeks since Christ has been crucified and remember Christ it was 40 days after his crucifixion before he ascended so it's only been 10 days since Christ has ascended into heaven i say all that to say that the tension is still in the air surrounding Christ it's not as if like okay jesus died we've kind of gotten over things but no they're keeping a close eye on the apostles and, and Jesus is still a controversial figure. And now on this day of Pentecost, one of the three main celebrations when Jews would be coming from all over the globe to, to, to celebrate and, 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 and um, give praise to God. Okay. In the midst of this, Peter loudly proclaims and publicly proclaims Jesus as Messiah. Messiah. And all these individuals, these Jews, were hearing Peter preach in their language. And so Peter preaches this sermon about Jesus Christ being the Messiah, and he roots it in the Old Testament. He defends the the resurrection from Psalms. And the message reaches its climax in verses 36 and 37. Peter says, "'Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ.'" and then he brings it to a to a very pointed conclusion this jesus whom you crucified and it says now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do now as i've always read acts 2 i've always been struck by the fact that peter doesn't even seem to finish his message before these individuals burst in and say we get the point, all right? We've, we're the ones who've crucified Christ. Now tell us what we should do about it. And perhaps this is one way to cut a long sermon short, right? Maybe midway through, just say, look, I, we get the point, all right? Just tell us what we should do uh, before we, we waste any more of our time. I don't recommend that this morning because this one's going to be short, all right? But maybe, maybe a different week uh, we could do something like that. So in verse 38, Peter's response is this repent, and be baptized. And so they they do. Notice verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, this is the very beginning of the church. The word church isn't used till chapter 5, but this new group here, is, is formed, they're baptized and added, and we'll see moving forward that they are referred to as the church. So, in order to understand what a church is, this is where we start. And to get a definition of the church, we start here and move forward as to understanding what a church is. So, let's look at then a definition of a local church. Because that's our concern this morning. As we're talking about membership and what it means to be part of a a local church, that's our concern to understand what a a local church is. This is sort of a standard definition, and I think it captures at the heart of of what a church is and does and is committed to. So let me read the definition, and then I'm going to unpack it in in just six points, uh, considering these points from Scripture. Okay? So the local church is... An assembly of believers in a particular location. Okay, so it's an assembly of believers in a particular location. It is comprised of baptized believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who gather at regularly stated times for the purpose of corporate worship, preaching and teaching, fellowship and prayer, who share in a common faith once delivered to the saints who have been organized into the offices of overseer and deacon who observe the two ordinances of baptism and communion and who carry out the great commission of making and maturing disciples okay if you're taking notes you probably didn't get all that but we're going to work through it sort of line by line so first note that a church is an assembly of baptized believers So you can see this in verse 41, that those who received his word were baptized. So prior to being added to this new group, there were two requirements, that they must come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would be baptized. Even if you skip down to verse 47, as new individuals are continuing to be added, it says the Lord was adding those who were being saved. So church membership is more than just a gathering of people, it is a gathering of saved people who recognize Jesus as Lord and who follow him in believers' baptism. And only those who meet the requirements are able to be added to a local church. Membership in a local church is not for believers and their children, it is for believers alone, those who confess Christ. This is why when we have uh, members meetings and we bring in new members, uh, we will have them stand before the front here, and what they'll share with you is their testimony of faith. And we've already heard their testimony of faith behind closed doors, but they'll share their testimony of faith because we want you to know that they know and believe the gospel because that is essential uh, in order to become a member of the local church. So the church is an assembly of baptized believers. But notice, secondly, they are an assembly of baptized believers who gather at regularly stated times for the purpose of corporate worship, preaching and teaching, fellowship and prayer. And here's where we see the term ecclesia begin to apply to these people. Okay, they are a gathered people. So look at verse 42. and Actually, let me highlight a number of verses where we see that they they were regularly coming together. So verse 42 says, right after they're added, right after they're baptized, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now, devoted themselves is this idea of they were committed to it. Okay, they came together for these things. Skip down to verse 44. Do you see this? All who believed were together and had all things in common. You skip down to verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, okay, they're 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 coming together, gathering regularly. Okay, skip over to chapter five and verse twelve. The church is continuing to, to grow at this point. And in verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And notice this phrase. You might just look at it in passing, but it's important. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Okay? They, they gathered and assembled regularly in order to be admonished. Skip over to chapter 6 and verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And what did the apostles do? The twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, "Okay, Now, don't, don't miss that point. They assembled everyone to meet together to take care of, of this particular issue. Okay? Now we could go on in, in other passages, particularly 1 uh, Corinthians, where, where there's just great emphasis on the fact that when you gather together, when you're all there, you know, in this case they're disciplining somebody, but, but they're, a, they're an assembly that, that meets at regularly stated times. So they were a gathered people up until chapter 8, where we see persecution, you know, wipes out Stephen, and then the church begins to scatter. But we see the habit of the church is that they met Regularly. Now go back to chapter 2 and verse 42 and we see the purpose of their gathering. It wasn't just to have a good time or to play softball together or to you know, do some sort of activity. The, the core of their gra- the gatherings were defined here in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to genuine biblical fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which likely refers to uh, taking communion together, and they devoted themselves to prayer. And this pattern continued for years. So that when you get to Acts chapter 20, and verse 7, it says that when they came together on the first day of the week to break bread, that the Apostle Paul preached to them. That's the passage where the guy falls out of the window because he fell asleep during Paul's long sermon. Okay? But the interesting thing about that is this, they were still meeting on the first day of the week, coming together to break bread and to hear the apostles' teaching. Okay, so a church is a a group of baptized believers who gather consistently to be built up and admonished in their faith. Now, number three, we see this, that they share a common faith once delivered to the saints. So you notice there in in chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's an interesting phrase. Because Luke could have said they devoted themselves to the scriptures, but at that time the only scriptures that were in play were the Old Testament scriptures. But Luke says specifically that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which included the Old Testament, but also included the life of, the miracles, the teaching, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of, of Jesus. So the apostles' teaching was, was more than just the Old Testament scriptures. It was, it was the teaching of Jesus. You remember at the Great Commission, Jesus calls his disciples together and he says, Baptize them, and he says, Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, and that's what the apostles are doing here. So all that Jesus commanded them. and and all they observed in Jesus' teaching was summed up in this phrase, the apostles' teaching. In fact, one other place where the apostles' teaching appears is in chapter 5, verse 28. Turn over there if you would. Uh, The the disciples are in trouble in in chapter 5, and they are being sternly warned by the religious leaders. And in verse 28, we read this, we strictly charged you Not to teach in this name. What's the name? Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Okay? So their teaching is the teaching about Jesus. And as the New Testament goes on, this is what they devoted themselves to. Okay? So there was a body of truth around which the church fellowshiped. And and, and the body of truth that they had in common. And as the church began to grow and as the, as, the, as the church began to spread, there were more and more threats to the, to the faith once delivered to the saints. And much of the New Testament is written to protect the body of truth known as the, as the apostles' teaching and the, the apostles' tradition because there were people saying things that were contrary to the truth once delivered. And so Jude, in verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you, to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So there was a body of truth around which a local church came together. Okay, so it's an assembly of baptized believers who gather regularly for the purpose of being built up, who share a common faith. Now, number four, who are organized into the offices of overseer and deacon. So in the early days in Jerusalem, the apostles were the leaders of the church. However, as the gospel spread further and further to other regions, it became necessary for new congregations to have their own leadership. So in Acts chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas finished planting these new churches in the regions of Galatia, they made it a point to make sure that these churches had biblically established leadership over them. So in Acts 14, verses 21 and 23, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And listen to this. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So a church is, is, is not just a group of believers, but they're a group of believers who have appointed biblical leadership over themselves. Right, this is also the case in, in Ephesus when, when Paul tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 2.2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will, able to, who will be able to teach others also. So churches have biblical leadership over them. Fifthly, we see this, that a church observes the ordinances of baptism and communion. And this is obvious here in chapter, 40, or chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Right In 41, they are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they added these individuals to the church. And then in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Okay? To, to, to remembering Christ's sacrificial death on their behalf as they regularly gathered. We'll come to Baptism and Lord's Table in a few weeks, but, but just know that this is what a church is. It's a group of individuals who, who observe the ordinances of baptism and communion. And lastly, we see that it's a group of people who carry out the great commission of making and maturing disciples. So what you find in the early church is they weren't simply an inward-focused church, but they were a, a church concerned with the advance of the gospel. So in verse 47, day by day, those who are being saved. In in chapter 4, in verse 29, as persecution is, is ramping up, they pray to the Lord. They say, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. That was their prayer. That they would continue to be an evangelistic church. In verse 31, we read this of chapter 4. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. In chapter 5, 41 and 42, the gospel is advancing. In chapter 6, 1, the gospel is advancing. But notice with me chapter 8 and verse 4. Chapter 8 and verse 4. In fact, begin, if you would, in verse 1 of chapter 8. And look at the first four verses together. It says this, And Saul approved of his execution, that is Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and and committed them to prison. Look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So this is what the church is devoted to. They're devoted to the making and the maturing of disciples. They they build one another up and they seek to advance the gospel of Christ. So this is what a local church is. Now, there are certain elements of this definition where if that part of the definition fails to be there, then a church ceases to be a church. Okay, so if a church doesn't hold to the faith once delivered to all the saints and they compromise on that message, they are only posing at a church, as a church. They are, they are not a church. Okay, so they might have a church building, they might gather regularly, they might have leadership, but if they don't hold to the gospel, they're not a true church. There may be other elements of this definition where if parts of this definition are not part of the church, then they might still be a church, but they just might be a church that is not rightly ordered at the moment. So, for example, it might be uh, feasible to think of a church at a time that doesn't have a pastor. they okay? would still be a church, but they would be a church that is not rightly ordered at, at the moment. And so, in this definition, it's not to say that if these elements aren't there, that they cease to be a church— but, but it's possible that, that there's still a church just in a church that is not rightly ordered at, at the moment. Now, let's start to get into some practical elements as we, as we study here. So we gather week after week and year after year, and we can assume sometimes that everyone knows what a church is. But the danger of assuming is it leaves the door open to confusion And once things are confused, it becomes easy to lose a truth. So we don't want to assume. And just that reminds us of how important it is to, to continue to make clear what the gospel is. Because if we assume that people know what the gospel is, then it's easy for it to be confused, and it's not long before it becomes lost altogether. So, as I understand it, there are four common misconceptions about the church four common misconceptions about the church that, that impact our understanding. And I, I'm just as guilty as you are in, in falling prey to these misconceptions, okay? So misconception number one, the church is a building, okay? You can probably say, yep, I'm guilty of that one. That happens to me uh, most often, okay? So this is probably the most common misconception about church, that a church is its real estate. And the newer the building, the prouder we are. The older the building, the more embarrassed we are. Unless it's really old, then we're proud again, okay? But that's, that's what the church is. It is our building. And sometimes people pray something like this. Lord, we've gathered in your house to worship you this morning giving the impression that God somehow dwells in this building and we come weekly to meet with him. okay? There's nothing magical or special about this building. okay? We could meet in a different location and be just as edified and built up because the church is not a building. But when the mis- this misconception happens, the building becomes central. We think of our service To God as being what we do in this building. And it becomes all about the building. Now, to slip up from time to time and to call the building the church, that's not the unpardonable sin, okay? So we're not going to have an invitation for you to repent of of accidentally calling the the, the church building the church. But I want to highlight this, that when this misconception starts to creep in, there could be a subtle shift away from what the church really is, the people, and we think about it just in terms of, of a building. We'll talk about this in, in a, more, a little bit more in a moment, but that's misconception number one. The church is a building. Misconception number two, the church is what we do on Sunday and only on Sunday. So church is what we do when we, we put on our Sunday best and we perform our religious obligation to, to God then we go out to eat, and then we go home, and we have little thought of how church connects to the rest of our week or the rest of our life. And if we do anything churchy on Monday through Saturday, well, that's overtime because we've already done church, so to speak, on, on, on Sunday. It's, it's, a, so it's sort of a weekly activity. Okay. Number three misconception is the church is its worship services. Now here it's common to confuse what the church is with what the church does. Okay? A church should gather regularly for worship, but that's not what a church is. Yet people think about the church only in terms of its worship services. So from time to time I'll hear a comment like this, you know, we've been attending because we, we like the services here. And that's good. I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I want you to like the services here. But little thought is given to the people as the church. It's just what happens on the platform as being church, but but not the brothers and sisters who sit in the seats next to me. In that sense, church is just a weekly event. And those who like the weekly event attend the weekly event. And last misconception, my favorite, the church is its lead pastor, all right? So for some, church, for some, the church centers around the lead pastor. In some circles, he's called the man of God. He understands God better. He knows how to do church rightly. He has a dynamic personality, which is more important than godliness. And the church is built around him. And one's level of commitment often lasts as long as that lead pastor is there. But once he's gone, we're gone too, because that's essentially church for us. Now, let me be clear. We're blessed to have a building, and we're blessed to have worship services that edify us in the faith, and we're blessed to have pastors that that faithfully preach and shepherd, but none of those things strike at the heart of what a church is. At the heart of it, the church is its people. The church is its members and so if I condense our definition a little bit, I'll just say this. The church is an assembly of believers who have covenanted together to live as a church and all that it, that entails from the scriptures. Okay, so first and foremost, fundamentally, the church is the people. Okay, so let's note then three implications. Okay, implication number one, it is important to remember that the church is its people. So, when we think about the church then, and the concept of church, and what the church is, the people have to be central. Okay, what the church is, is the church is the the people sitting next to you, who profess faith in Jesus Christ, and who have covenanted together. That's, that's what the local church is. It's not the building, although we meet at a building. And it's not the services, although we worship together, and it's not the pastor, although he serves us by by shepherding and by teaching the word. The people are the church. Now I'm going to use an illustration here because I think it's I think it's 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 helpful to to sort of understand this or unpack it um, and, and think about this. But um, I don't use this because. I feel like it's, it's common, but I just think it's common in American Christianity, okay? It's, it's common in American Christianity for us to be ruled by our preferences and to want a church that has what we prefer. And so one of the, one of the main ways that this happens in American Christianity is around the issue of, of style, of music, okay? Okay? Music is important. The scriptures say a lot about about music, and I want to be clear that I'm talking about preferences about music, not um, because, because there could be a situation in which music would would drive one away from a church legitimately. So I was on vacation one time and i I attended a, a church, and i grew, and I, I was I grew up in the '90s, and so. I, um, I'm familiar with '90s music, and the service, the sermon was on um, the theme was enemies, and the special number before the, the service was, "Do you know your enemy? Got to know your enemy. Do you know your enemy? Well, hey, you know." And I'm like, and I I know that song. It was by Green Day you are from the 90s okay they've never professed to be a christian band or anything like that but that was the special number and so i could think like i don't think i'm going to attend this church okay because I, I, I you know i don't prefer the music there but i would have like fundamental like problems with with green day and the in the uh, in the services so we won't have that next week um and i won't say the association of this church but it rhymes with pillow creek all right so i won't, won't say that okay what I'm talking about are, are just preferences, okay? And people will leave a church because of their, their preferences about something like, like music. And so what does that say about my understanding of what the church is? It's a shift away from the people to my preferences or concept of, of, of the church, okay? Okay. So we gotta remember the church is, is fundamentally the people. Now, let me take this same analogy, this same topic, and, and shift it though, to from a pastoral perspective. What if I as a pastor have a particular vision for where our church needs to go musically? And in the process of getting there, I run over the majority of the congregation because of of my of my vision well in that case what i have done is i have made my vision the church and i've run over the people who are really the church in the process hey what does that say about my understanding of the church if 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 i just have this vision we're going to get there at all costs so we're going to run over the church in order to get to the vision of the church. No, the, the, the church is its people. Now, there may be a times where we need to say, hey, we need to head in this direction, and it may, it may, people may be challenged by that, but it's my responsibility to lead us through that, not run over the brothers and sisters in, in the process. We have to remember that the church is its people. Okay, the second implication then about that is when we think about service, we have to think about the people. When we think about service in the local church, it is about serving one another and building one another up. Third implication, and I'll just say this quickly, we have to remember that the church is a gathered people and that central to our identity is consistent gathering. As we talked about last week, you know, on our own we are unimpressive, feeble people. But when we come together, God promises to do things in our gathering. Right at the end of Matthew 18, he says, where two or three are gathered, there am I in their midst. Well, He's talking about when the church gathers, in that case in the context of do church discipline, but when the church gathers, God is present with us. And our gatherings should be a little taste of what heaven will be like when we are together for eternity. Now, as we conclude, I want to read a portion from Mark Dever's book, What is a Healthy Church? Because as I was reading through kind of his his material, I liked what he said here about the church as a people. He says this, Does a particular church fail to meet your expectations? If so... Remember, this is a group of people who are still growing in grace. Love them. Serve them. Be patient with them. Again, think of a family. Whenever your parents, siblings, or children fail to meet your expectations, do you suddenly throw them out of the family? Now, this struck home because our youngest, Logan, has on his own developed this statement that he says when he's mad. So if his brother or his sister do something to him that he doesn't like, usually in the midst of tears, he says, Brooke's not going to be part of our family anymore. Or Blake's not going to be part of our family anymore. And that's the ultimate like, throw-down comment for Logan. That's what it's come to. Okay, We need to just remove... He was the last one to join, but he's just removing people uh, at, his, at his own will. And so we, we think it's cute um, and... Who knows where where it goes from here when it gets older, I don't know. But But he says Dever says, you know, think about your your parents, your siblings, your children. When they fail to meet your expectations, do you suddenly throw them out of the family? He says, I hope you forgive them and are patient with them. You might even stop to consider whether it's your expectations that should be adjusted. By the same token, we should ask ourselves whether we know how to love and persevere with church members who have different opinions. Who fail to meet our expectations or even who sin against us. And then he says this in parentheses Don't you and I have sins that even need to be forgiven? Okay? This is the church. It is a group of regularly gathering believers, imperfect as we are, but we've covenanted together to live out the truth of Scripture together. It's not a building, it's not a pastor. It's not a set of worship services, it is a group of people, the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're blessed to consider your word this morning and to be reminded of these truths, and, and we would ask you to help us to, to make your people central in our lives that our vision of the church or our expectations of the church would not get in the way of what the church really is, a group of baptized believers who are seeking to become more like you. So, Lord, ground us in in this this kind of biblical thinking so that we're not tempted to have wrong expectations or formations about what we think the church is, but that we'd be thoroughly biblical and live that out in our lives together. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.